Uh, well, good morning, everyone. My name is Stuart Mazel. I'm the lead pastor here. And as you heard uh, Taylor pray just a few minutes ago, uh, I did preach at another church this morning. No, I'm not like searching for another church. Uh, Jehovah Missionary Baptist actually uh, called me this past week and asked me to preach there um, this morning. And uh, so there was one of you this morning who said, well, Stuart, you better bring your A-game. And I said, well, I preached at Jehovah this morning, so you better bring your A-game. <laughs> anyway, hey, we're uh, continuing our series. We started last week called Let's Get Spiritual, where we're talking about the Holy Spirit. See, in our society, when we use the word spiritual, we typically mean something ethereal, otherworldly, mysterious, something. But when the scriptures use the word spiritual, most of the time it's a reference to the Holy Spirit, the person and work of, what the, of the Holy Spirit, what he does in and around us and through us. And today we're going to be looking at a passage from Galatians that points us to the fact of what the Spirit does in those who believe. Now I recognize there may be some here today who do not believe. That doesn't mean this message isn't for you. It just simply means that you're on the front end of where this message is pointing us to. So hopefully it will still mean something to you even if you're not a believer. But for those of you who do believe and have believed for a long time, wow, this message is definitely for you. All right, so Galatians 3, 1 through 3. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Let me pray for us. Holy Spirit, we know that you've begun a good work in us. E even those who don't yet know Christ as their Savior, you, in some way, fashion, or form, you've drawn them to this place today. Would you continue the work and bring it to its completion? That every single person here would not only believe, but would believe fully in all of the blessings that you have for us in Christ. And Father, we know that you love your people. Show that love to us today by the Holy Spirit working in each and every one of us so that we see Jesus, we see how wonderful he is, and we want nothing else but him. Amen. God helps those who help themselves. That's a popular proverb, right? And it's so ingrained into our psyche, it's almost like we're hardwired to believe it. Even if we've never actually heard this proverb, 
it seems like a trustworthy tautological truism, an accepted axiomatic assumption, an obvious overt observation. It's just true, man, right? Whether we've heard the proverb before or not, it's basically human nature's standard operating procedure. You do good things, God comes and helps you. Many are so certain of the indubitable, undeniable veracity of this proverb, they claim it must come from the Bible. Fun fact, it does not. but it does appear to be the sentiment of a very, very old tradition. We're talking millennia old. Some version of the phrase was found in the ancient Greek writers, Euripides and Sophocles, although they used the word gods instead of God. The idea is also found in old Chinese proverb, uh, heaven rewards the diligent. Same idea. Apparently, there's some variation of it found in the Quran, but I haven't verified that. The English version we hear most quoted, uh, we hear quoted most often, is usually attributed to anybody know? Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Franklin. But it was actually penned by Algernon Sidney. You know, Algernon. Yeah, he was an English politician in the 1600s who apparently wrote that phrase for the first time, as far as we can tell. But what can't be denied is that the idea of God helps those who help themselves is a statement so sure, so self-evident, so singularly straightforward, only senseless simpletons would suggest squabbling about it, right? I mean, what idiot in their right mind would want to argue against something so blatantly evident? (laughs) Now, truth be told, I can't actually argue with the statement as it stands, because after all, it is true that God does help some people who who help themselves, right? I mean, God helps lots of people, so... Sometimes he does help people who help themselves. But the problem is the way we listen to that phrase, God helps those who help themselves, usually what we mean by it is that God only helps those who help themselves. In other words, if you're not working on your own behalf, God's not working on your behalf either. If you're not going to bring something to the table, God's not interested. I think if we're brutally honest with ourselves, we will all find ourselves believing some form of this, whether it's in flagrant or in more subtle ways. So today, we're going to be challenged, and I hope encouraged also, by the Holy Spirit speaking in Scripture to remind us It's not about God helps only those who help themselves. It's something much better than that. 
So here's the big picture point. If I could just summarize what we're going to talk about today in one sentence, it's this. Life in Christ, from beginning to end, is the work of the Holy Spirit. Life in Christ, from beginning to end, is the work of the Holy Spirit. Let's take a look at this passage from Galatians 3, starting in verse 1. Now, let's just give a little bit of background. Paul is writing this letter to the Galatian church because he's heard that there's some people who have come in and basically stirred stuff up by saying, you need, if you want to really be right with God, you need not only Jesus, you also need to add to Jesus circumcision. Or maybe even other works. So Paul has some of his harshest language in all of his letters to the church in Galatia. Oh, foolish Galatians. How would you like it if I started a sermon? Oh, foolish Westminster. That would be rough, right? But that's what Paul, that's what Paul is doing. Oh, foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? Whose spell are you under? Look, you know about Jesus. You know about him being crucified on your behalf. And then in verse 2 he says this. Let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? In other words, he's saying, did you receive the Spirit because you did a lot of good things? You worked really hard. God saw you and said, oh, man, you're my favorite. Here's the Holy Spirit. Or did you simply believe? And because you believed, you know that you have received the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 3, are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit... Are you now being perfected by the flesh? The idea behind that question is what I said in the big picture point. Life in Christ from beginning to end is the work of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to get to this in a few minutes, but we like to sneak works in somewhere. Now, again, more to, be, more to come on that point in just a few minutes. But listen to this uh, quote from the book, The Holy Spirit by Greg Allison and, and Andreas Kostenberger. Um, it, it's a little wordy and a, a little dense, so I'll give a, a brief explanation of it afterwards. But listen to what he says here. They say here, The mighty divine work of rescuing sinful people is extensive, a multifaceted operation that runs a gamut from conviction of sin to incorporation into the body of Christ to resurrection. It is also intensive as it includes subjective, transformative aspects such as regeneration, guidance, and assurance of salvation. When the Holy Spirit is poured out, sinful human beings experience a rich and profound salvation. From beginning to end, 
Salvation is the work of the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus, who died and rose from the dead, that's the gospel in a nutshell. It doesn't become yours unless the Holy Spirit works in you. Okay? So from beginning to end, salvation is a work of the Holy Spirit. And we touched on this last week, but it bears repeating again this week, all the blessings of Christ come to us through the Holy Spirit. All of them. All the blessings that God the Father has for us, all the blessings that come through Jesus have to come to us through the Holy Spirit. We saw this in Ephesians 1.3 last week, but it bears repeating. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, those of you who were here last week, do you remember what I said about the word spiritual? What does it mean? Holy Spirit. Right. So, God, the Father, blesses us in Christ, and we receive those blessings every single day one of them, through the Holy Spirit. That means our salvation is applied to us by the Holy Spirit. As uh, John Owen says, there is not any spiritual or saving good from first to last communicated unto us or that we are from and by the grace of God made partakers of but it is revealed to us and bestowed on us by the Holy Ghost. If you have any gift of Christ in your life, it's because the Holy Spirit has connected you with Jesus and you've received that simply because you believed, not because of any work you've done. We clear? Now here's where it's going to get a little messy. We need, we need to be on guard for the persistent, deep-rooted tendency to rely on our works. We need to be on guard for the persistent, deep-rooted tendency to rely on our works. Every single one of us has that voice somewhere inside our head saying, God helps those who help themselves. Oh, let me change that. God only helps those who help themselves. And so I've got to do something. It is so persistent. It's, again, almost like we're hardwired for that. Again, go back to the questions that Paul asked the church in Galatia. They're still relevant today. Let me ask you this, church. Did you receive, those of you who have the Holy Spirit right now, do, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Verse 3, are you so 
foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? What was begun? Having begun by the Spirit, what was begun? Your salvation. Your life in Christ. That was what was begun. And then he says, if you have received salvation from the beginning by the Spirit, are you now going to be perfected? Is this going to be finished? Are you going to complete this work by the flesh? By things you do? Now look, I know there's all kinds of thoughts about salvation in our society and in our culture today. Look, let's, let's be honest, there are some people who don't believe in God, and so, or they don't know if there is a God, so the thought of salvation doesn't even come into their minds. But I would say that if God exists, and the scriptures certainly proclaim the truth that he does, then it would be good for us to know what it takes to have a salvation that he offers, right? Okay, so even if you're in that point of thinking, hey, I don't even know if there is a God, it would still be at least good to investigate what God is saying in the scriptures. Most people, however, probably in our society, think that everybody has salvation by default. You know, kind of like the all dogs go to heaven theology, only applied to human beings, not to dogs. So you get to go to heaven, and you get to go to heaven, and you get to go to heaven, and everybody gets to go to heaven. The problem with that idea, while it sounds really nice, it also seems very unjust. Think about it. People who are saying everybody has salvation, period, no matter what, they're saying that the person who has served others lovingly and selflessly all of their lives have the exact same reward as people who were selfish and self-centered and didn't care who they hurt or how badly they hurt others as long as they got what they wanted. Does that seem fair? Does that seem just? So most people, I think, once you start talking in those terms, they'll say, oh, well, yeah, um, we believe in some type of universal reward and penalty. Something, you know. Probably, if you do enough good things, you get to go to heaven. If you do enough bad things, well, you don't. God helps those who help themselves. See how that works? Others would say, you know, that default setting of having some form of salvation automatically, I do think that's right. But, you know, you start here and you lose every time. You lose something every time you mess up. I had a, a, a professor in college who did the grading that way. You started with 100. And every time you got a question wrong you, on a test, you got taken down one point. Because he had 100 questions throughout the entire course. 
Okay, so you could only get 30 wrong, I guess, if it's a, you know, 70 was failing. I can't remember what it was back then. So some people think that. And so you start, everybody starts here, but if you're like Hitler or Osama bin Laden or uh, Regina George from Mean Girls, then, you know, you, you go back down. And then there are those who think that you have salvation by doing enough good things. You work hard enough, you earn it. And then other people say, well, no, it's not about your good works, about getting in. You're saved by grace. That's what the scriptures say. But staying in, that's another matter. You're in by grace, but you've got to work at it if you want to stay in. Now, all good Reformed Presbyterians know that all the options that I've said so far are obviously not true according to the Scriptures. We uphold the five solas of the Reformation, where salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the Scriptures alone, to the glory of God alone. That's what we bank everything on when we're looking at the Scriptures. So obviously, we get in by grace and we stay in by grace. So we're good, right? But this is where we keep works from coming in through the front door and we sneak them in the back door. This is where a subtle God helps those who help themselves can creep in. Let me explain what I mean by that. I've heard it put this way. When it comes to our justification, that is, being right with God, there's nothing we can do. It's all by grace. Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead so that you would be right with God. He takes your sin upon himself and he gives you his righteous status and that's that. Justification. So, justification is by grace alone. We don't add one single thing to that. But when it comes to our sanctification... That is, being more like, made, made more like Jesus. We got to work at it. Translation. If we don't put in the effort, it's not going to happen. That's God helps those who help themselves, sneaking in through the back door. If you really want to be like Jesus, you've got to do enough good things. After all, practice makes perfect, right? Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. Some of you are going, oh my goodness. He's saying we shouldn't do good things. No, doing good things, that's good. Okay? Doing good things, that's right. The scriptures tell us that we're to do good things. 
but is it doing good things in and of themselves that have power to make us like Jesus? No. Absolutely not. In a passage that uses similar language to what we see in Galatians 3.3, let me read that again. Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Hear these words of Paul in another letter, Philippians 1.6, where he says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So who's doing the work there? Who is it? Yeah, God through the Holy Spirit. God the Father promises that He will finish the work He began in us by the Holy Spirit so that on the day of Jesus Christ, we will be complete. Do you hear, but only if you do your part in that? Do you hear that? I I don't, not in that verse. So how can I dare make such a bold statement? Well, think about this, Romans 8, 29. Our assistant pastor, Nathan, preached on this a few weeks ago, and he pointed this out. Listen, verse 29. For those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. What is it that we are predestined to be? Conformed. To the image of his son. Who's doing that work? For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed. That's God, the Father, doing his work in us through the Holy Spirit. I love the way that Gordon Fee, in his uh, commentary on Galatians, puts this. He says, one cannot add a plus factor of any kind to grace. Since the plus factor, in effect, eliminates grace. And puts the emphasis on what one does, rather than on the gift of the Spirit and the life that one has received. See, As Reformed folks, as Presbyterian folks, we understand that our right standing with God, we can't add a plus factor to that, but we try to sneak that plus factor back in by saying, but your sanctification, if you don't work at that, it just won't get done. So be a good little Christian and do your good little works so that God will be able to do something. Do you hear how that sounds? That's foolishness, right? Now, someone may be sitting there thinking, oh, hold on, Stuart, hold on, Stuart. I got some passages for you. I know my Bible. Philippians 2, verse 12, tells me, Therefore, my beloved, as you have also obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but now, but much more in my absence, work, work out your salvation. Work it, do it, work. Don't you see the word there, Stuart? How can you be so blind? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling even. 
But what does the next sentence say? For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You see, you can't do the working it out unless God is working it in. People who read this passage and say, see, you got to work. They're effectively putting the emphasis on the wrong syllable. (laughs) Think about it this way. Cause and effect. People who are reading that passage and see you've got to work, what they're saying is, if I do good works with God's help, God helps those who help themselves, right? I will become more like Jesus. What's the cause of that? I do the work. Philippians 2, the passage I just read, is more like this. God is at work in me by the Holy Spirit, and he's making me more like Jesus. So, I'm going to do good works. Now, I can hear someone object Stuart, sounds to me, sounds to me like you're not being a good Presbyterian because it sounds to me like what you're saying is the Holy Spirit is going to make me like Jesus whether I do good works or not. That's what it sounds like to me. That's not what I'm saying. Congratulations on mishearing what I'm saying. No, that's not what I'm saying. That's not what Paul's saying. If you think that, that's like saying I'm going to be made like Jesus without being made like Jesus. Do you hear what I'm saying? How can I be made like Jesus unless I'm being made like Jesus? And did Jesus do good works? He sure did. And if I'm being made like Jesus by the work of the Holy Spirit, what am I going to do? Good things. (laughs) No, we began by the Spirit, and so we will be completed or perfected or finished by the Spirit. Our works are not a contributing factor in any way to the salvation that God has to us. Our works are the evidence that God is at work. Not, it's the fruit, not the root. Salvation is 100% a work of God by his spirit. And if you're still thinking, Stuart, that makes logical sense, but where's that in the Bible? Let me just throw out a few more passages just to seal the deal here, okay? Ezekiel 36, verses 26 and 27, which I actually read this morning at Jehovah Missionary Baptist. And I, God speaking, will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of, uh, yeah, a heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Now, hopefully, my emphasis on the word I made it apparent the answer I'm about to ask, but who is at work 
in your heart, according to Ezekiel 36. Look, this isn't let go and let God as if we can actually let God do something. That is such a terrible statement. We don't let God do anything. God is the sovereign creator, sustainer, and powerful being over all the universe. We don't let him do anything. He lets us do things. Okay? It's not let go and let God. No, this is God is at work. And if he's at work in you by his Holy Spirit, his work will show up in you. As uh, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship. We're God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Look, the question isn't, am I doing enough to become more like Jesus? The question is, is the Spirit at work? Is the Spirit at work in me? Do I recognize the work of the Spirit and I'm working out what He's working in? Look, I know being made more like Jesus, it's difficult work. Now, the Holy Spirit, he's, he's ready to do it. He's able to do it. He's going to do it. But from our side of the things, it's fits and starts. There are going to be times when it doesn't seem like you're going forward. It seems like you're going backward. There are going to be times when you wonder if anything about you is changing for the better. There are some times where you're going to wonder, is the Holy Spirit even active in me? Because it doesn't seem like anything is changing. And that's when you go back to Jesus and you say, Jesus, I believe your word. You said, those who believe in you, you, you will save. And by your Holy Spirit... Bring me out of the junk and the mess and the works that I'm producing right now and produce what you want in me. That's what I need. I got some other stuff in here, but I'm going to skip over it. Because I want to get to your action point. Because some of you are probably thinking, actually, action points today. Some of you might be saying, well, what do I do with this? Okay, this, that's, that's nice. Holy Spirit's going to work. Great. What do I do? Okay, I got some ABCDs for you today. Haven't done this in a while. Your A is this, acknowledge. Acknowledge you need the Spirit. You cannot do this on your own. God never intended for you to do this on your own. That's why he gave you his Holy Spirit. Okay? So, again, as a believer, you got to acknowledge, I need you, Holy Spirit. I need you. It's not enough 
to say you believe in Jesus. Okay? People can say all kinds of things. It's the work of the Spirit that makes that confession true. And if that confession is true, the Holy Spirit resides in you. And if the Holy Spirit resides in you, he is going to give you what you need. Okay? So acknowledge you need the Spirit. Second, the B, believe. Believe the Spirit gives the resources of Christ. All of the spiritual blessings that God the Father has for you in Christ are accessed by the Holy Spirit, and God has not held back the Holy Spirit from you. He has given you who believe the Holy Spirit. And so all of the resources that Christ has, they're yours because of the work of the Holy Spirit. Believe that. Believe that when you're facing temptation. Believe that when you're trying to love someone who is very unlovable. Believe that the next time you're in one of those situations where you just don't know what to do when you need wisdom, Christ has all the wisdom that you need. Believe that the Holy Spirit is able and will give you wisdom as you need it. Believe it. C, call. Call on the Spirit for help. This is where I think we often fall. God helps those who help themselves. So, got to pull myself up by my bootstraps, and I got to work hard. And then, maybe the Spirit will show up. First of all, if you're a Christian, spirit doesn't show up. Spirit's already there. Okay? We've already, we've already covered this. But it bears repeating because we say these things all the time. Oh, man, the spirit really showed up today. Oh, the spirit was at work. Spirit doesn't show up because spirit's already there. If spirit hasn't shown up in this place, then we're in the wrong place. Because the spirit should be in each one and every one of us who believe. All right? So we call on the Spirit for help. We don't just say, oh, I can do this, I can do this. No, we acknowledge the need for the Spirit. We believe the Spirit can give us the resources, and we call on Him. Holy Spirit, help me. Holy Spirit, I need wisdom. Holy Spirit, I can't do this. And then the D. This is going to be the fun one. Do. (laughs) Do. Do God's will, relying on the Spirit. You say, you acknowledge, I need the Holy Spirit. You believe, the Spirit gives you the resources. You call on the Spirit for help, and you take that step. You're not relying on your own works then. You're just simply saying, I acknowledge I need the Holy Spirit. I believe the Spirit will give me what I need. I'm calling on the Spirit for help, and now here I go. Big difference between that and saying, all right, I got this. Oh, Holy Spirit, are you coming? (laughs) Big difference. So those are the ABCDs. Acknowledge, believe, call, and do. Now before I end, let me just say this. And I, I would be hypocritical 
if I didn't say this. I'm not saying these things because I'm an expert at the ABCD. I am saying these things because as I search the scriptures and I look to see what the Bible says, what the Holy Spirit is saying in scripture, I find that I often, often don't do any of this. I wake up on Monday morning thinking I've got this more times than I would like to admit. Worst confession? There are some Sunday mornings where I show up with a sermon ready to go and I'm thinking more, I've got this, than help me, Holy Spirit. And you know what? You can probably tell the difference. Because I can. Because by the end, I'm going, oh my goodness, what did I just do? As a fellow follower of Jesus, who wants to be more like Jesus more than anything, I want you to grow in the work of the Holy Spirit in your life so that you are doing these ABCDs too. Me and you together. Living by the Spirit. Beginning with the Spirit, ending with the Spirit, and everything in between. The Holy Spirit. Not just pointing us to Jesus, but making us more like Jesus. Don't you want that? Don't you want to be like Jesus? Then stop trying to do it on your own. Stop trying to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and acknowledge you need the Spirit. Believe the Spirit has the resources, all the resources of God in Christ. Call on the Spirit for help and then step out and do whatever God is calling you to do by the Spirit. And let's see what God the Holy Spirit does in our midst if we're a church committed to being that way. I don't got this, but you do, Jesus. You've got this, Holy Spirit. You've got this, Father. You've got this triune God. I'm ready and willing to receive and do for your glory, for other people's good. So let's rely on the Spirit. Let's rely on the Spirit, knowing that He will finish the work He began in us. I'm going to pray for us that we will rely on Him. Holy Spirit, we recognize that we all fall into the trap of believing that God only helps those who help themselves. We want to be like Jesus. And we can't get there from here unless you are working in us.
So for each one of us, for all of us who are believers, move in us today that we would acknowledge you, that we would believe, that we would call on you, and we would act, that we would do based on those facts, that you have begun a good work and you will finish it. And even for those who are here who do not yet believe, draw them to Jesus today. Let today be the day that they see the beauty of Christ and want him more than anything. But for all of us, Holy Spirit, be at work so that you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, our one true God, will truly receive glory and we will really benefit beautifully from what you've given to us. And then others in this community will also receive benefit. In Jesus' name, amen.